guys. It's not anywhere in the book. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of That's on the Book. I'm your host, Agent X, and I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Please remember that no AA member, including any guest I have on this show, including myself, speak for AA as a whole. The only aim of this podcast is to be helpful. If you'd like to get in contact with me or any guests that I have on the show, you can do so at that's not in the book at hotmail.com. Please remember if you want to come on and read a little bit of this book and discuss your experience with it, if you're throwing around words like recovered and like spiritual awakening and now now traditions you know these are the people I want to talk to these are my homies you know uh I'm pretty excited someone reached out to me and they called themselves a a recovered and like quotes big book lawyer and I was like oh my god I cannot wait to do this podcast with you like that's gonna be so amazing today I have my guest a member of Alcoholics Anonymous which is a forced alias on him however I've been waiting forever to have somebody called a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because it's in the four words where did we just find it where did you say that uh, it was in the forward to the first edition. Yeah, and it says, like, if you were to be on radio, we are going to call ourselves, a, a omit our first names and say, you know, we're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Why? Because I don't speak for us. Because I'm really, really, really fallible, even though I'm a recovered alcoholic. Even though I have big book knowledge. Even though I have on board the solution to alcoholism. Still incredibly fallible. I'm still a person. A lot of people don't like me. Just baseline, right? Um, That's getting better, strangely enough. The more you, like, spiritually grow, the less people, you know, the more people tolerate you, which is great. <laughs> Believe it or not, I remember, I used to get real, uh, I used to be real angry in AA, like, real angry. And it's just something good to talk about. Like, I don't know. I was excited to talk about you and my next two guests. I'm, the guy right after you um, it was is actually a trustee, or he's an ex-trustee, and he's just... Fuck, I just want everything in his brain to be, like, put into my brain. I just yeah. want that understanding and knowledge. But I didn't. And so I'm excited to talk about you because, you know, the people this many years sober, I don't say how long I've been sober on the podcast because it's irrelevant to whether or not I'm a recovered person. Uh, I'm not sober a day at a time. Don't know about you if you're just white knuckling the shit for all these years. But I'm not. So, you know, I'm not a sober day at a time. I admit how long I've been sober. But... Where I am in my recovery is really interested in the other stuff. I am really fucking into the traditions right now. It's because I did an eight-month-long tradition workshop on them. I thought they were just shitty little boring side notes. I thought it was just like, you know, accounting evidence. Yeah. Strangely enough, I used tradition too with a sponsee today when she talked about buying a car that she was pretending was for her husband, but actually it was for her. I'm like, let's look at tradition true and how a mm. group conscience can be used in your fucking family. Definitely. What? <laughs> like this stuff is amazing. And that's why I'm excited to talk about you because just immediately meeting you, I, I met you in a meeting random. I think you showed up to my Thursday, Friday meeting. Yeah. And your background is. Well, usually it's the dudes in the bed, the guy in the bed. Yeah. Bill, he's Bill D, right? Is that the dudes name? in the bed? Dudes <laughs> in the bed. Yeah, Bill D and Bill W and Doctor Bob. Yes, and why we don't wait sp- for sponsees to fucking come find us? We actually go make the approach, like it says. Could you imagine? They're like, "Oh, that dude's in the bed, dying of yeah. alcoholism." We found a solution. I hope he comes to talk to us. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is I I had the same type of betting 
in my um in the in my rehab facility that I went to uh a little bit while back and I was like those are the same beds that we used. No like, way. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, old and uncomfortable. So you had that picture and now you have what's your background right now? It's something it's, it's Silkworth's letter about something. What is that? Yeah, so this is the uh, original letter that Dr. Silkworth sent to Bill W. Um, in page. Uh, so, so the front page title, Doctor's Opinion, on page XXV, it is the uh, original letter that is printed in there, which is on the back of my screen. Um, does it say that Bill is a good or uh, is a man of good earning capacity? Because I have a sneaky feeling that Bill threw that part in. Right. <laughs> does he uh, actually say that in the letter? I feel like Bill added it. He was a, uh, he was a good businessman. Yeah, so, <laughs> so this letter. Um, all it's taken away oh, wow. is the William G. Wilson part. This is mm -hmm. the original one, if you can see it, kind of. Yeah, I can, yeah. And uh, the rest of it is all pretty much word for he word. He does say it, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity. I really felt Bill throwing that in there. So that's, I'm so excited that I just learned that that's what he said. Because I guess at the time, that really is an indicator, and it still is today, of whether or not you're an alcoholic, is what kind of car you're driving in. Do you still live in a home? And that never threw me. I knew that I was manipulating my life. Like at the end of my drinking, I was my husband was doing financially better than he'd ever and still today was doing. Like I was driving to my first AA meeting in a Z06 Corvette. I'm not kidding. That was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm doing great. But I was drunk driving it and he was leaving me. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but that would be a good indicator back then as to whether, like, listen, you can be, that's, this is such the important part to talk about is like, you can be financially fine and still dying of alcoholism drinking Almost away your definitely. your entire you can suicide yeah. really wealthy right and uh and you hear it in aa too people talking about like oh i thought that alcoholics were under bridges but i knew i always knew that i was in so much pain sober that that was the problem yeah. Fuck, i forgot to turn my phone off come on man come on rookie shit <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. Huh? Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. In, in fact, um, it's funny you mentioned that too. See, I, I had the reverse effect where I thought that you had to be under a bridge and that's where I was at. And I, I heard a lot of different uh, consequences going around the room and uh, somebody ended up stumping me, which we call like, you know, that's not in the book. And, and, and so I'm like, Oh, what? And so I, that's what got me more focused in the book was to basically um, study more about it. And and you're absolutely right. Like I, I didn't think about people that were, were successful being alcoholics, which only a certain class of group of people would be. And so my, my mind was pretty much focused on me. And, um, and, and after reading the stories in the back, they're, they're uh, significant. Most of them, they called themselves Skid Row, but at the same time, um, they were writers, they were lawyers, they hadn't lost their, you know, they hadn't lost their positions, but they did um, hit the bottom, so to speak. And then there's, you know, a couple of mixtures in there. But for the most part, a lot of them um, came into Alcoholics Anonymous searching for a solution to stop drinking. 
and um, kind of confused with having everything going on as far as still having their their profession. Um, that's what you know. This whole chapter of Doctor's Opinion, you know, pretty much screams to is we're not talking about your finances. We're not talking about living under bridges, right? Like either from Yale or from jail, like you could be just as lonely as I am and um, suffer from alcoholism. And there's no characteristics of alcoholics either. So it's not a personality trait and it's not a personality flaw. And so, you know, the big book, if actually read, goes into masterly detail explaining the alcoholic, what it, what it is and what it looks like to be a heavy drinker, which my, you know, controversial Carol opinion is that we are now top heavy with heavy drinkers and we are no longer, you know, the fellowship of alcoholics, unfortunately. Um, and I think the one thing that could change that is an actual understanding of alcoholism and that um, if you go to an AA meeting today, you aren't you aren't overwhelmed with a waterfall of alcoholism or the um, description of that. In, in Australia, there's these things called ID meetings, identification meetings, that if you don't know you're an alcoholic, you should go to those and then you'll hear if you are or not. And I'm not kidding. You could sit there for, you know, an hour and 30 minutes and not hear a single person describe what alcoholism is. They describe consequence. They describe their emotions. They describe their attitudes and feelings and thoughts and behavior. But none of it is my two symptoms of alcoholism. And so um, as someone who talks a lot, I don't I try to talk. I try to say what alcoholism is every time I speak because yeah. we're missing that one little crucial you know, I, I, I help a lot of people and there's a lot of people sitting in these rooms for years. Yeah. I had a woman come to me after a relapse after 29 years of being sober. And she said to me, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I never have thought I'm an alcoholic in this air quotes relapse. I had four little tiny glasses of beer, stopped drinking and went and cleaned my house. And I'm like, are you open to not being an alcoholic? She goes, yeah. I've told everyone and they keep saying it's my disease talking. And so we read through to 44 and I said, do you have these symptoms? She goes, no. And I said, you've been gaslit to <laughs> keep come back for an illness you don't have. Now you have something. Let's find you what house you belong on on the street. Every yeah. person in the universe could use a 12-step program. But you ain't at the right house for a long time. And that's probably why you're so uncomfortable. You know, yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's help you. Yeah. Freedom but either way. So tell me how you first got here. What was the beginning? The beginning was... Uh... I got here to the rooms through a treatment facility um, where we had to go to like several different meetings throughout the week. And I ended up picking AA um, only because I, the, I just felt more solution um, out of that, that program than I did, or, you know, that meeting that I did and, and all the other ones. And um, guided by literature as well, too. It was, um, it was pretty, uh, pretty cool to me to actually not just say, you know, this is how you're going to do it and then leave it alone, but more or less like this is how you're going to do it. And here's literature to help you. And so I got here through that and I started to link on to, to uh, book study meetings and, um, just, you know, just tried to drink all the recovery water as much as I could, um, that, that I could pretty much. So right. that's, how I, that's how I got here. And, um, yeah, it, it when nothing else worked, this worked. And so 
Yeah, but to this day, nothing else works. That's the only reason I'm still here. It's not like I like it. It just keeps working. <laughs> I love my message of that, however, because it's like, I, I, I'm not a big book thumper, big book junkie, podcast host, meeting host, because I just love it. Like, like my sponsor called me today at 8 a.m. 8 a.m. It is school holidays. Okay, ma'am. This is not what I want to be doing. However, ended up with a wonderful conversation about tradition, too, and why we don't buy cars without a group conscience in our family, you know? Like, really important, amazing stuff. And I was so proud and excited by the end of that conversation. So when people look at people like you and I, and you have letters from Bill W. behind you, and I have podcasts and all the shit, I really need to make it clear that it's like, we did this because it works. It treated my alcoholism. It still treats my alcoholism. I'm recovered today from this really hopeless state of mind and body because I understand what the hopeless state of mind and body is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how were you approached by your sponsor? So actually, uh, never been on a blind date before, but <laughs> if I had, it would have been that experience because I, I, I approached a, a guy um, that had a few years sober and he ran a meeting, um, out of the rehab center that I went to. And, um, and I wanted to be sponsored by him. We had six weeks to pick a sponsor. And so I was one of those people that were like, no, I'm going to pick the right one. Yeah. And I'm not, not going to rush into it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just test the water out. And, and, uh, and f- like five weeks came up and I was like, you know what, this guy, um, seems pretty cool. So I asked him and, and he said, no, he said that he, he didn't have the time because he was doing a lot at that time. And he had a few, you know, a few sponsees already, but he knew of a guy that, um, that was looking for sponsees. And so I said, okay, you know, fine. And, and, and after that, I just remember thinking that whole night, like, you know, what if it doesn't work out? And, mm-hmm. uh, what if, you know, what if he doesn't have a car and, you know, all these things that don't really qualify a sponsor. And, um, and it, it turned out to be just fine. In fact, um, he said, so here's an important lesson. He knew this book um, and he knew it well. He guided me through it and he pointed out certain certain principles that I could apply to my life. And it immediately started to, I started to feel that change, like little by little, like patience and willing and tolerance and all that stuff. Um and then he again he just guided me with connecting different pages, how these pages connect to each other, the meaning of it, getting me in the habit of looking up words. A uh, very great yeah. sponsor that knows the book. However, I was um, nine months uh, right around, I think the, the ninth step, and um, I get a call from him, and he tells me that he relapses. Fucking hey! And so it taught me a very important lesson, right? Like it's it's not about it's not about just learning this information, but actually having a transformation from this information that we learned. And I just kept forward with that and um, surpassed, you know, surpassed the deal. Not like it's a competition, but I, um, I was just told that like, you know, this is the moments to practice faith. And so I learned that, you know, the part about faith without works is dead. I I learned through those moments to uh, work faith and, you know, just, just to trust my higher power. And things ended up working out. And today, my sponsor is a past delegate. So it's like, ah, uh, yes. Like, Makes you talk so about excited. traditions and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> you know, I, um, and, I, and I love the guy that I'm with. Um, so it, it, everything worked out for the best. But 
I, I was truly introduced to this book. And, and to be honest, too, um, Bill W. always called uh, Ebby his sponsor. And, and Ebby had a problem with uh, staying sober himself after so long. Ebby drank after two years, didn't he? Um, my, so my, according to my studies is that he, he drank after a few months of approaching Bill with this solution. But then he stayed sober his last two years of life. Oh, that's where I got the two-year number from. Do you know that Ebby's name is Edwin Throckmorton Thatcher? <laughs> First of all, I only know that because I looked it up like on Sunday for some reason. I was like, that is the fucking... I'm going to name a kid Throckmorton. <laughs> I'm going to adopt a child just to... <laughs> I'm just glad you could pronounce it. I couldn't pronounce it. Throckmorton. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so... Uh, it sounds like it actually took you a long time to get through the steps, though. You did? No, no you did. I did it in 24 days, brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, yes and yes and no. Uh, treatment centers only allow, like, certain visits every single week. And right. um, being that I had to attend a, a bunch of meetings and a bunch of other stuff, Saturdays was our day to work with our sponsors. Hmm. Um, so we also had to be in bed at a certain time throughout the week. And right. so it was like, you know, we were, uh, I don't want to say the name of the institution, but it was really rigid and thorough. And so every day was like five 30, wake up and then be in beds by like after our meeting at nighttime. And we had to basically go to a certain amount of meetings throughout the week. Do you take your sponsees through that slowly though? No, so I I go through I go through with them. Um, I basically go through them go through the steps with them um, in a, in a course of thirty days. Um, or, or Why do I just smile like a monkey every time people say this? My eyes just light up. You want to <laughs> why? I want to take someone through the steps in a weekend. Like people lose willingness. A member quicker than than blinking and it's like because when you are a big book sponsor you're giving them the good dope okay i'm giving you the good fucking medicine lights are coming on things are clicking you're waking up you're taking actions things are being revealed to you god's like coming to drip drop in your life like shit's getting real and and if i spread this out too long all of a sudden you feel better and you lose your willingness you know and forget that we have to keep going and and I and I'm oh, I hate it. And I understand I'm not the power. Don't don't you worry. I'm not in the results business. But I want to be an effective messenger of God. That's what I really want to be effective for you. Like you're dying of alcoholism. I want to fucking help you. And yeah. so when I hear, oh, we try to get him through in 30 days, I'm like like tears of joy because first of all. Those 30 days it took me to get through the steps were the hardest of my life. Early sobriety is a deep, deep, deep pain. And I think if you're locked up for nine months, like, it helps. That would really fucking help. Um, right. But, you know, I had three kids, and my husband was actually in a different country while I got sober. While I recovered, he had to leave the country. So here I am, like, with my little kids dying of alcoholism alone in my house. And, like, that was a really hard month. So I don't want to drag out your pain, you know. If you are a hopeless, tragic yeah. case such as myself, I want to get you out of that pain as quick as I can. So, anyways, that's that's pretty dope. So, um Tell me after that, like, 
what was your AA experience and where do you, where do you serve right now? What is your, what does your program actually look like? Oh man, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so right now, so, so right now, uh, currently I'll be rotating out next month, but I am the uh, general service rep of my home group. Um, and, um, I love service at a district level. And I'm also, I'm also the alternative alternative uh dcm for my sub for sub district down here where i'm from um i'm also transitioning into learning more about the concepts with my sponsor we're, do, we're doing studies on traditions and concepts and then um i currently sponsor a couple of guys and i'm taking a new guy through the steps which is pretty cool because I, I heard you talking the other day about sponsoring people from across the world and yeah um, and so this is this would be my first time taking somebody from the other side of the country through through the steps, which is um, to me is powerful, very powerful. Um, my program also exists in my regular life too as well. So I'm really really busy with a couple of jobs, and I also go to school full time. So I'll be graduating from. I'll finally have a bachelor's degree in September. I was a dropout. I was a college dropout, uh, below sea level grades in high school, just trying to 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 get a good enough grades to play basketball. And this this experience, this direction, just pretty much got to shift me into you know you know when you pray like what do you want me to do next like what can I do next? So I guess I'm at that stage where like. Um, Ah, there's a part in the 12 and 12 where it talks about like overloading spiritual, like I forgot what it's called. I don't want to water it down, but um, you basically, you, you just want more of it. Like you just want it, you know, you know, it's like a buffet of spiritual food and you're just like, put more, put more. And so yeah, that's all I want. Magic shit. Like uh, <laughs> I don't get to, it's hard to explain. Like I, I call it miracle Oprah sometimes where I'm like, can you get a miracle and you get a miracle and you get a miracle. Oh yeah. Well, she gives out the gifts you mean. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. Because, and that's why I get you the saddest thing I can think of. The saddest thing that my brain can think of is an alcoholic who comes to AA and does nothing but get abstinent from alcohol. I feel like that is the saddest possible thing with what's on offer. And um, because of the life that you truly get to live when you don't do this as an academic exercise, it's like, I try to say it in so many ways. This is not something I box tick some days, some years of my sobriety. I probably, it's really funny when people are like, Oh, find someone to sponsor you. Who's has at least two years sober. When I was two years sober, I was a fucking nightmare. I was angry. I was depressed. I was like suicidal. I hated everyone. So I've got a long time box ticking, like for a whole year box ticking. Okay. Like I will pray and meditate because I have to, and I will sponsor people because I have to, and I will be my, you know, be a a GSR because I have to, and I'll go to this meeting because I fucking have to. And um, that's enough to stay abstinent. It's enough. Um, And someday life, sometimes life is objectionable, so objectionable that all I can do is tick boxes. However, on the other side of an objectionable life, ticking boxes just to stay abstinent is a deep understanding and evidence of a life sometimes based in God's will, 
sometimes void of self. So, I mean, sometimes we're talking like a small little bit of time. Sometimes in real 10, 11, and 12 faith, sometimes like that. And it's fucking miraculous. It's miraculous. Like, how the hell are you going to be just getting a bachelor's degree? Come on now. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I, you know, my family is all educated. And, um, and I just felt like the, you know, the lost sheep, so to yeah. speak. But I was convinced that it just wasn't for me. And, um, you know, this is my life. And, and I got to that point where I was convinced that I wasn't going to be able to stay sober without either going in jail or dying. Mm -hmm. And, um, and those were basically my two options, you know? And so jail was looking pretty more promising than, than, than dying. And, um, even though I wanted to, I just, you know, I was like, not, nah, you know, I think Bill W talks about like not having, you know, not having that courage to kill myself or jump, you know, when he was talking about the collapse of the 1920s and, and that's the same kind of feeling for me, as far as like where, where I was at before coming into treatment, I was, um, I was convinced that like I was either going to die or dying was the way to get sober. And so I was going to jail. And then, um, you know, two, three years later, I get a call from a school recruiter or whatever. And, and I said, if you can make it possible, like I, I want to, I want to join, you know, and my whole perception of that was like, well, if I get a C, I'll still be able to earn a degree. And um, I, I never knew that. Like, What's just your grades? By, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell I me. I can't say, I can't, I can't. <laughs> so without my ego in the way, right? Because you're asking me. Yes. <laughs> I uh, I currently have a 3.98. Oh, I got tears. Uh, I, I'm so <laughs> I and I love it. I love I love learning. You know what I mean? I love learning. Um and it's all because of this right here, this prayer right there, which I like to call the set aside prayer. And I say this prayer before I open the book, and I say this prayer before I open up text anything that I want to learn. I just want God to teach me uh, a new experience with everything. And so it just Gives me a desire to want more hmm. and to take the time and dedication and discipline to, mm -hmm. you know, to do the actual work. And um, I guess when you're just really, really uh, in tuned with what you want to do, it's it's an easy approach. It just takes a lot of work. That's when people are like, well, I don't know what God's will is. I'm like, you will. You will if you actually shut up long enough to just be still for a minute. And accept that guidance. And that's yeah. the thing, you know, the restless, irritable discontent, that irritable or the restlessness of just being sober for me. And that can happen today. Absolutely. If I'm just sitting and everything's fine, I'm looking at side eye at everything. Like, what are we yeah. doing now? You know, and it's in this little place of silence is where God will speak. If you could shut up long enough to listen for yeah. some guidance and be humbly available to understand that that it could be there if you give it a chance. And it's like the first time we get here in step three is like, I'm going to give you alcohol, God, and that's it. All right. Let's see what you can do there. And you don't have evidence of this. You don't have evidence. It's going to work. You know, you have a lot of people like me and you saying, listen, I was bedridden with my alcoholism. I was drinking away my children. I was going to, there's no way I'd be alive right now. I wouldn't have made it this many years. My body would have given out. I was like, 
40 kilos, you know, I'm five, nine, like I was not going to live through this. I would not be alive today. Um, and then you saying the exact same thing, that you're going to literally die or go to jail. Yet yeah. here we are all these years fucking sober. So yeah. the first time we have, the only evidence we have is other recovered alcoholics looking yeah. you in the face and being like, mm, me too. Not now though. Not now. And it, it, it kind of guts me. I get a little stab in my side when people are like, I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Like you're going to be fucking sick forever. And it's just not true. You know, it's just not true. <laughs> the, the problem's no, been true. removed. It says it 16 times. Like the problem becomes removed. If you understand step one and then do the process and you understand step 10, you will walk around with your head real fucking high in gratitude to God and with a very loud voice for others, the newcomer that still suffers, to offer this message that has depth and weight. Like, bruh, you actually could not obsess about alcohol every single day. You could actually go through life comfortably sober. You know, you actually can remain sober forever if, and I love your analogy about your guy with the head knowledge. Um yeah. Self-knowledge avails us nothing. Big book knowledge avails us nothing. It's me on my knees, really fucking humbled by my last fifth step that I just did this week, where I really thought it was my husband, three pages of step five later. Who's the fucking perpetrator? So, like, it's like the Scooby-Doo mask. Me again. Me again, mate. Me again. <laughs> that good. is why I'm sober today. Definitely. That that is why I'm sober. Ugh. I you, go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's fine. As soon as she popped up on the screen to do my step five, I burst into tears. I was like, I, I we knew we were in trouble. As soon as you know the woman taking me through this round of steps pops up on my Zoom call, I just burst into tears before I read the step five. It was a rough year. I, I had probably the worst year of my life this year, and I was pretty sure my son was to blame. My partner was to blame. I, did you jump not. into so so how was your experience with step five did you just jump right into it and open up to your sponsor one-on-one -on -one? or was it with your sponsor or was it with a priest or such a good question the <laughs> first time i did it my sponsor came to me and she took me through step four resentment in step four so we she actually literally wrote out my resentments my part with me together we did this together but we did my top 10 list i had a huge fucking spiritual awakening in our 45 minutes um truth be told the only reason i don't do that with people is because i'm lazy and literally that's why so then i think we did fear and sex fear together Sex I did on my own because by the by the relationship inventory, you have a new fucking perspective. I love the sex inventory. It's not talking about the other person at all. You're completely <laughs> cut off from the story by the sex inventory. It's like, let's tell me where you really, tell me what you really like in your relationships. Like, just gutted, right? But then she said, um, after that, we had a pause and we weren't going to meet for a week. And she said... And I, I got, I became very suicidal, a very suicidal after step four, because for the first time I was wrong and I didn't have another way to live. Okay. So people don't talk about in the steps is very painful. That's why most people don't finish them. Yeah. Uh, so suicidal. And, and I remember calling her and saying, I can't, I can't do this. And she said, well, 
No relief is promised until after step five. None. Um, and that's what the big book says. It says maybe the drink problem might become to be relieved after step five. So I go, cool. Can you come over right now? And uh, she, she um, came came over and she just said, tell me everything. And so by that time, I had the new perspective of of some facts about myself and just vomited out everything, including the one thing I wasn't going to say. And something did happen then. Now today, going through some with someone who's like, I don't know, she's like 30 years sober and uh, she knows that I know I've been around. So it's been a little bit abbreviated, but um, it was just really nice direction, like the way that she took me through. And so I wrote out my part and everything this time because I can with God. She yeah. gave me some like pointers in step four. So I actually read my step four to her. And then she had gave me some pointers of where to look, like what little crevices to look in. And then I went away and wrote it out. And it was just really profound. It was really good. And what's yeah. even cool about it too is that it it, it talks about reflecting um, off the first five proposals. Right. And, and, and thinking about if you left anything out and, and literally that's the moment that anybody who's taking the steps should reflect back and say, what don't I understand about step one? What, what is it? What am I not convinced 100% of instead of just being like, you know, yeah, no, we did it once. Let's go. Let's just keep going. Cause for me, it was um like, like I understood that I, I was powerless to in, in my own language, Right. Like, I don't know how to live sober. Will you please help me and show me how? And they're showing me this craving and this obsession. And I'm just like, okay, I get the craving now because we defined it, but I don't I don't understand why they're calling it obsession because I don't I don't want to think about this all the time. And somebody had pointed it out. Well, you you don't want to think about it. That means you are thinking about it all the time. And I said, I said, yeah, and 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 they had just linked that to page thirty, where it's like, do you think that um, normal drinkers go through this kind of stuff? And I was like, no, you know, I don't, I I don't think so, but I want to be like that though. And there, that's where the <laughs> obsession clicked in that we keep thinking that we are a normal person and we can do normal yes. things, and we can with power, um, but like without power right, which normal people can live, um, it just made everything make sense. And so I remember talking to somebody who else was working the steps about it, which I recommend and suggest that like, don't put all your eggs into one basket, meaning into your sponsor, like seek a fellowship that's on the same page as you, yes. literally, right? And and just, it, you know, go bounce some stuff off, off that person and, you know, say, do you understand? Has this been your experience? You know, how was it ex your experience? And so, because a lot of stuff really helped me. I was I was running around treatment talking about triggers this and triggers that. And um, not that I don't like, because I'm also in the in the therapeutic profession. So it's not that I don't disagree with the word trigger, but as well, I do. So well, <laughs> I didn't want to get controversial, but as it applies to this, to alcoholism, the underlying um defect of the word trigger is fear right like we are using an excuse to ignore our fear um for me anyways like you, i can't say oh that 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 paraphernalia triggered me to use again right like i yeah, saw that dumb. paraphernalia 
And I immediately got afraid, right? Because I started thinking about the good, the bad, whatever comes with it. And then I'm like, fuck it. And then I do it. And then I go back to the excuse and say, oh, that thing triggered me. So it takes deflection off of what's really going on inside of me. And for me, it comes down to fear. And so once I figured out that that part, um, I just gave it to this power. And as far as, you know, me being afraid of symbols, um, I'm not anymore. It just fear problems been removed for me. It's interesting in the book that we don't have a real strong definition of the mental obsession. So we explain it in a lot of anecdotal stories, but there's yeah. not like a specific word for it. All it says is that I'm definitely insane when it comes to alcohol. And that's not my whole life. Like I'm not just some fucking twitchy, screamy person running down the street. I am definitely insane when it comes to alcohol and there's no pill for insanity. And it gives me the three times that I'm going to pick up a drink when I'm going to tell myself it's going to be exactly the same and do it anyways. When I tell myself it'll definitely be different and here's how. And then sometimes when I am just minding my business, eating a sandwich at a truck stop, I'm going to throw some whiskey in my milk, having no fucking intention of drinking whatsoever. So the word obsession is hard because it's not, yes, for me at the end, it was like I had the worst day of my life and I woke up and I'm like, oh my God, that was alcohol and I can never drink again. When can I drink right now? Right? So that was like, that's how quick the obsession came back. Yes. But a lot of the times I was just minding my business, you know, going about my day, cleaning out the storage shed. And there all of a sudden I have the thought to drink. There I am making the kids beds and then I have the thought to drink. And and it wasn't it was like I had other thoughts. So I wasn't just sitting there constantly obsessing about alcohol, but that thought to drink, which is the problem in italics, you know, this thought to drink. It's simple. It just whispers. Oh, fuck it. That's it. That's my whole out. You want to know this in literal verbal terms. Here's why I'm going to die. Oh, fuck it. That's it. That's me. Dead. Agent X. That's all it's going to take. One more time that my brain whispers. Oh, fuck it. Go pick up drink. I will die. <laughs> or end up in jail or die. So, yeah. So I'm my big edits to the big book are your mental obsession is fuck it. That's it. That's the it's whole the fuck it. Yeah, it is the case of the fuck it. Um, it, it uses like a uh, a great obsession, right? But in the forward to the second edition, um, it talked about how Bill had his obsession removed, and um, and so when it goes to like extensive lengths, it talks about it and more about alcoholism, and it uses different words as illusion, insanity, delusion, and obsession, all in one paragraph. And so like the way that I was shown was they, they all have, they're all the same word with diff, they're all the same meaning, but different words. And so it, it boils down to a thought um, that tells the lie. Like you believe that lie, which yeah. is an obsession. And so, you know, me being, well, you have your big book dictionary with you too. Even when you defined it, it was kind of, it was kind of um Oh, let's look it up. Do it. Go it was it. kind of right here. So it says an ex excessive and irrational mental attachment, a persistent and dis uh, disturbing preoccupation with, a, with an often unreasonable idea or feeling of uh, compelling motivation, fixation, compulsion. And so 
that somehow, oh, okay. So that definition kind of reminds me of the place where it's like that the great obsession of every abnormal drinker is that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking. Um, And yeah, I like, I like that definition of it. So those are, I want to stop at seven drinks. That's it. And if I could just stop at seven drinks, you know, drink, that's my drink number, which people laugh at because I think it's a lot, but I'm very tall. Um, you know, if I could just stop at seven, I, I, I would never be here again because that's how much I enjoyed drinking. Um, but then at the end of it, I kept drinking more than what I enjoyed. I accidentally kept getting drunk. That's a big problem. Okay. I accidentally keep picking up a drink and I accidentally keep drinking too much alcohol over and over and over. And that keeps progressing. Why would I do that? Well, it's because I have a mental illness around alcohol. I have insanity. For you to do something against your own will seems insane if you put it that way. I accidentally keep doing this to myself. And it doesn't seem to be a circumstantial illness. It doesn't seem to be any person, place, or thing that's causing this idea. I'm drinking happy. I'm drinking sad. I'm drinking um, because I'm petting my dog. There's a million reasons for me to drink and none of them are of circumstance. So um, yeah, I love... Again, going back and talking about what is alcoholism, because we aren't hearing that in meetings today. So so we get to step two, and it says lack of power is our dilemma. And either you're going to concede to that or not. And I've never not conceded to the fact that lack of power around alcohol is my problem. Never. Not a single day. And maybe it's because my rock bottom was so ugly. Maybe it's because... um, I know for a fact, I, I, the first two years of sobriety, every day I'd lay my head down and go, fucking sober again? What? Like, it was a shock. Being Nobody was more shocked than me that I was sober. Every day. I, I knew it was a miracle because I couldn't stay sober. Not till 10 a.m. So, it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. So, <laughs> so we get um, to step two, two and it says lack of power. That's our dilemma. You know, and it's still my dilemma today. But the first time we get here, this first time, all I'm willing to give over to God is is alcohol and, like, see what he does with that, right? But um, over the years, unfortunately, that problem's been removed. And now I have to actually grow spiritually. I have to actually grow. But what does that look like today for you? Like, can you tell me the difference between your first step three and your current step threes? (laughs) Yeah, I know they, the, it, it just, um, well, again, like even taking new people through the steps, um, like I have an experience with them and I, and I, mm-hmm. and I learned so much more about step one, um, from just, you know, even going through the book or, or teaching somebody, I'll just be like, oh, you know, that hit me harder, you know? Um, and step two, when you were talking about lack of power, that was our dilemma. I really like the next line because this is where um, this is how it evolves. Right. For me, it says we had to find a power by which we could live. And the power is a lowercase P. So it's telling me that I have to find this power. But then it says it had to be a power with a capital P, which is how he says God. And that's where. Right. And so that for me is like like I, I seek this power in the beginning. And it for me, it was the, the gift of desperation. It was, please, 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 please help me not to drink today or please help me to 
get up or, you know, just desperate prayers. And then over time, I started to have, um, I started to practice and I started to have faith that this power was going to be in my life. As long as I just check in with it once a day, be consciously aware of, of this spirit. Right. And that's where it became, for me, it became this capital P and there's a lot of controversy with that. People always say, well, my God's lowercase P. And I was like, well, it says right there that we do it with a higher P. And and the real reason behind it is because it's not referring to just any type of power, right? It's referring to a power greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what it's, it's become. Um, I remember doing that reflection too, where I was like, oh my God, like, you know, when's the last time I had ever been six months sober? And I said, never, you know, I, I hit a three month mark in jail and that was kind of not difficult. It was more easy for me to say no though, because of it not being around in jail as much. And the fact that it was like, I could easily get another charge. I don't want to be in here longer. Um, but as soon as I hit the streets, I was back to living like a normal person thinking that I just have to say no and I'll be fine. And I relapsed. And so for me to say I'm six months sober um, and somebody had asked me if I asked God for sobriety every day, if I asked him to remove the obsession. And I said, yeah, every day, sometimes, you know, 50 to 100. Whenever I start thinking about it, I'm, I, you know, remove my obsession, please. remove." Um, and so they said, why are you doubting this power in your life then? It seems like mm. you still live your prayers. And so I said, that's right. You're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. You know, um, and it talks about it in, uh, which is even more cool, talks about in the chapter two wives, right? It says, um, it says, uh, hopefully I have it marked down. If God can solve the age old riddle of alcoholism, um, he can solve your problems too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's on page 116 and it says, We've elsewhere remarked how much better life is when lived on the spiritual plane. If God can solve the age-old riddle of alcoholism, he can solve your problems too. And so I know they're talking to the wife there, but I read it as they were talking to me, as in to take this power into every affair of my life. Mm -hmm. um, You know, just leave it as a day and not a good or bad one. That was awesome. I still, I've, uh, there hasn't been a day that I haven't asked for sobriety, not, no, not meaning I'm afraid that God will just throw my head in a bottle of wine if I don't, but because it's the one constant in all these years that I remember just for 30 seconds in the morning that I'm not doing this shit. Okay. And it's just my own little act of humility to God. Every single day I ask for sobriety and every single day I say, thank you at night. I haven't not even when I'm sick, even when I'm mad at God, even when it's the worst day. And at the beginning, the same, it was like, when the compulsion came on, it was like, God, remove the compulsion drink right now. That was my direction. I feel so grateful that a woman said, so how do I stay sober today? It was my first day. Like I'm drilling her. I'm like, so what do I do? (laughs) You know, smart ass. Like, what do you do? Smarty. How am I going to stay sober today? She's like, get in your knees, ask God to keep sober today. Go sounds fucking dumb, but I'll try. And then he did. I was sober for a day. And I was like, that's a fluke. Try again tomorrow. 
fucking sober again. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. And just really crazy things would happen throughout the day where, you know, at the beginning I'd get compulsion and it would be like, she did mention if the compulsion comes, ask God to remove it immediately. Thank God for that woman, you know, and, and weird things would happen. Like I got a fucking flat tire when I was leaving to go to the liquor store. And, um, all of a sudden, like, you know, I started my beans on fire when I'm trying to cook dinner for the kids to then go to the liquor store. And like, there was a fire and then the, I couldn't make it, you know? So all these things would happen that I didn't curate, um, that would keep me sober for a single day. And when it says we had to stop doubting the power of God, it's this one little thing that is undeniable in my life. And I'm still waiting for someone to come on the podcast or someone I meet that's, you know, big bookie, that's going to be like, yep, I've been willing this shit for seven years, you know, like, are you? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> it just hasn't happened. You know, this is the bond that it's talking about. This thing that you and I both know that we have not kept ourselves sober. And I don't need you to tell me you're drunk along this many years sober. I need you, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, to tell me how you're in fucking college right now when you had below C average in high school and that you didn't do that, you know, that now you see who and what you truly are as someone who enjoys knowledge and enjoys learning and can benefit society when you used to live under a fucking bridge. I don't care about the bridge. I want to see how you are now giving your life and your will over to the care of God, even when it's hard and scary. Okay. That's what I want to see. This is why I talk about my, my year with my son who's drug addicted. I'm going to tell you that that I'm going to give God my um my uh sobriety. I'm going to give him maybe my weight. I'm going to give him maybe where I live. But God can fuck off my money and my son and my sex. Okay? Those three things God's not penetrating. You aren't coming in here. This is going to be Agent X's will until Agent X's will gets so fucking painful that I can no longer last one single day trying to run these shows, these three shows. And then I have to be, I have to tap out and I have to give my baby, my firstborn child over the will and care of God. Fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. That is what I need someone to walk me through <laughs> today. Yeah that's, We're <laughs> that's, yeah. that's very understandable. I, I mean, I have that similarity with, with my relationships. Um, I, I mean, I constantly ask for, for his help, but I find myself uh, ignoring his guidance in, in relation. <laughs> yeah. My sponsor, he told me the, he told me this, uh, it was a beautiful spiritual, you know, like lesson. Right. And, and, and I was just like, Oh my God, that's me. It's me. And he said, so we, you know, the moral of, a, of the whole thing was to, to live in gratitude and, and, um, and to practice gratitude in, in our, in our life. And, um, and I find myself easily angered or confused or doubt, you know, just not trusting the process mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'll react to it quickly. You know, one idea sets me off. I'm triggered. Just kidding. I'm going to punch you through the screen. <laughs> So, one idea sets me off and mm -hmm. and i'm just like you know now I, I i hold back but um my mom is um you know she's probably the reason she is the reason 
other than God, right? She's the reason that, um, that I was, uh, I willingly went into treatment center and that I got on my knees and asked God for help to get me to treatment because she stopped enabling my whole deal. And by enabling, I mean, she she cut off the sandwiches, she cut off the showers, she cut off the, you know, um, she just literally wouldn't let me in anymore. And so she's she my hero. Didn't even want to take me to treatment or detox the last time. Right. She had said, you know, you know, the bus schedule. So you know how to get there. And <sighs> oh, my heart me, is pumping. <laughs> oh, shit. It, yeah. And it, you know, it, it made me, um, at first it was, you know, F you and you're the only parent I have. And, you know, I'll live on the streets, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, but then like, you know, it made me think that like, I don't, I don't need anybody to get me to here. I just need me. And then I was like, Oh shit. Like I, I only have me. And then that's where it was just like, okay, God, like I need your help. I don't, you know, I don't even know if you're real or if you can do this, but please just get me, you know, get me to point A and point B without drinking. And, and so I started to depend on that every single day and not on people to, you know, to do the, do the deed for me, but she's always been a part of my recovery. One of her thing, one of her things was if you get sober, I will be there 100%. But if you, if you're not doing this, we can't have a relationship. And so, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and so when it, when it all hit me and I started to realize that like, I'm not, you know, I only called her for certain things like underwear and Mm -hmm. socks and cigarettes. I needed those during that time. So, oh my God. I so she, tears. She's, she's been there, you know, she's been there since day one. And, um, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been an incredible, I don't know if it would have worked for me if she had kept on taking me. I don't, I don't know that. I just know that she stopped yes. and it, it allowed me to, you know, she knew too, cause she knew that like the chances either were, I was going to find sobriety or I was going to die. And yeah. she had to like let go of doing that. Now she's not, she's, she's, she's considerably agnostic. Yeah. Um, you know, there's times where she believes in God because she looks at, she looks at me and sees what, what's going on. Um, but there's other times where she's like, come on, come on, you know, <laughs> that's not true. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, you know, so, um, but she definitely had to make that decision. And I give her so much props because I do have two daughters and um, I I do find myself, um, how do you say it, blocking one daughter from certain people because those people are very bad. And <laughs> another one, you know, that I'm just like, you know, you don't want to end up like me, do you? And she'll always say, I don't even drink that much, you know. Because that's going to work, a yeah. member of Alcoholics. That's going to work. Tell her. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you don't want to <laughs> end up, you just don't want to end up like me, right? But it's there's a lot of stuff that's just based off of fear and that, and when we have that fear, that's the moment that we're not trusting God to, you know, get us around the lake, so to speak. I am. I'm going to send your mom a Christmas gift because the truth is, is I didn't realize I thought my mom just was really emotionally strong that she could do these things with me. And, and it wasn't that at all. Your mom was fucking terrified every day. Your mom was terrified and cutting you off was probably the hardest thing she's ever done in her life. And um, it looks like, fuck you, mom, you know, but absolutely not. And um, she's a spiritual giant in my eyes. She may be agnostic, but she doesn't know that God was working through her that day, you know? 
I see it. I see it. So speaking of fear, well, I don't think we're going to talk about this one because we don't have the time. Like these conversations get so good. Like we, we forget that we're going to read out of the big book. That's what we're actually doing here, me and you. So open up your big book. I found our spot. We're actually on page 76. Okay. Um, and so we've done a lot of work up until page 76. You know, we understand the lack of power. We understand the ability to turn our will and our lives out of the care of God because we have no other choice. Then we start doing our resentment inventory very gladly to tell someone else about how we've been a victim. Turns out we are not victims. <laughs> we are perpetrators. Turns out that we perpetrated all those acts of um, pretty gross behavior towards the people who resent for at based on fear and that every single thing about me and every single negative emotion to this day is pretty much based on fear uh and that fear is running the show which was so hard for me to hear i'm such a badass i'm like i'll fight you you know like i have no tattoos don't tell me i'm afraid that's probably the biggest insult you could say to someone like me is that i was being driven by fear i was like really offended you know but it was really solidified in my relationship inventory that i am a nightmare to be in any human relationship with so just a human relationship i am not a good partner any relationship, work, school, neighbor, sexual, parent, fucking, I'm a nightmare. Okay? Turns out I'm the problem. Uh, and then so we get to step five. And so here's a good question because my my honest feeling now that I'm a little bit calmer, I told you I used to be the world's most angry AA member, but I'm a little bit calmer, a little bit cooler, a little bit more settled down. Um, I don't think that it matters what way you're taken through an inventory and step four and five, as long as at the end of step five, at the end of your inventories, you have a new perspective on yourself, the people you're resentful for, God in the world. You have a new perspective? Fine. Wonderful. Can you kind of tell me your step four and five experience, the process? What's the process you were given or what you give either way? So I've uh, I've had three sponsors uh, in in the course of my journey, and um, I've taken step five um, through their experience, you know, from their experience, passing it on to me. So I've done it a few times, um, but the the so every time it's been out of the book. At the same time, it's always been like a new a new approach or a new perception. And, um, you know, for me, it was connecting the repeated behaviors that just weren't working. Um, and they all added up. Like, if I didn't do this, then I wouldn't have had this. Or if this didn't happen, then that wouldn't happen. And um, going down the line from resentments, fears to conduct, I had realized that self-reliance was the reason that I was basically in all these troubles, which caused all these mistakes and shortcomings. Um, but it was a, a lot of step four was revealed to me during step five. And uh, my sponsor always points it out. And it's, it's, it's on page 72. And it says that um, we've admitted certain defects and we've ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We, we have to put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. And so he went through my inventory and he pointed out, you know, um, 
were there people around when you were when you were fighting or when you were verbally attacking your ex-girlfriend right Mm -hmm. were there other people involved her kids were there parents there and i was just like oh yes you know like i didn't think about i didn't think about being inconsiderate to them um so I, 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 it, it just revealed a lot. And then a lot of, um, there was a couple of like resentments that just turned out to be fear. And there was a lot of conduct that, um, were just resentments. And what I mean by that is like, um, I saw myself putting down names in every single category, right. From the conduct list to the fear list, to the resentments, but he had pointed out, um, you know, he, he just made me think about the real stuff. And so I ended up, you know, moving around different columns, but, um, the prayer helped me out a lot with resentments. It wasn't so much the actual page, but it was a story called freedom from bondage. And it's in the, all the way in the back. It's the second to last story in her book. And the, the alcoholic in that story got free from, um, saying a couple of things, which is praying for their health, prosperity, and happiness. And I use that prayer on my resentments because it just makes sense to use that to people I don't even know, like institutions, um, cops that I hated, right? Like I can see myself wishing good health onto somebody or prosperity, like growth and stuff like that. I could I could grasp my mind around that. And so I use that prayer and it, it helped me um, because I used it the following day when I was walking around my rehab center just constantly because everybody was just, you know, everybody was pissing me off. And I was just like, OK, stop and pray for them. And so, you know, even the institution, I get a write up in, in, in rehab and I would stop and pray for the institution. And so it immediately gave me a tool to use in the moment. But carrying on, uh, the best part of the conduct list for me was the ideal relationship Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand what ideal was, uh, the way that it was just described to me. It's just what, what, it, what do you want in a relationship? Like, what is your picture, um, ideal? And so I was like, so I can draw like a, a, a story because, you know, and my sponsor's like, do whatever you want, man. He goes, but he goes, uh, list down a few different people. It wasn't just about relationships with another person. It was more like, uh, my, how my conduct is going to be in a relationship with different people, like my uh, parent relationship, my job relationship, um, my family relationship, my girlfriend relationship, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I did all these ideals and I was thinking like, you know, like we get to wish to have something in our life. And then the book tells me whatever your ideal is, you must be willing to grow towards it. And I was like, oh, because we attract what we put out you know, and, or we, we, we get in what we put out type of deal or whatever, but little did I know, um, that it's, it's, it's all about us, right? It's, it's an inside job. I'm so glad you came back around here. I'm like, do you still have an ideal of your perfect girlfriend? I'm like, (laughs) well, I had, so I wrote the ideal based off of a relationship that I was in at the time, but Mm. I was more like, you know, like she's out of jail and I'm out of rehab and we're living this life and this life healthy, uh, not toxic, you know, stuff like that. I, I go back and check it out sometimes. I don't know where the book's at, but it's somewhere in my office. And um, and so my, you know, it, it asks you also to, it says, you know, is it selfish or not? And the funny thing is, as you learn more about what selfish really is, or for me anyways, 
um, I go back to that and I'm like, oh, that was pretty selfish right there, you know. But in the moment, I was like, no, I don't think it's that selfish to want, you know, to want her to be sober like me, you know. I don't think that, you know, I think that's uh, that's good, right? And so um, going back on it, like, you know, uh, making people to, oh, to to live up to expectations, it's pretty selfish of my own perception of what goes wrong for me in relationships is I start to put the bar, right? Like I'm like, if I'm dating someone in um, Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm like, they have to be at meetings every day. They have to know this book. They have to love this book, you know, and I'll find that. But then like, as you get into knowing somebody and they don't really do what your expectations are for me, that's when I, I start to get judgmental and critical. So if my ideal relationships today, going back, is just to let go of expectations and get to know somebody for who they are, but at the same time grow towards that, you know, for, for me. And so we went off, we went, we went over the whole spill um, in step five. And then, you know, I opened up and got vulnerable for the first time. And vulnerability can be, it can feel like it's weak, but once it's out, it is powerful. Once another person gets really sentiment with you and um, you just you just share your, 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 your secrets, you share everything about yourself. Um, it, it's it's like you're leaving it all on the table. And I, I had that experience where it talks about having that spiritual experience. And for me, it looks like this. My sponsor said, so how do you feel? And I said, I don't have any feelings anymore as of this point like my brain everything mm-hmm. inside my brain was gone like there was just empty space for the first time and he had said that's got to be a good feeling then. and I said yeah it's a really good feeling because now you know I don't have all that clutterness and you know stuff comes back but from doing the steps and um, practicing the the meditation I don't really have that that racketness no more where I constantly think about tomorrow or constantly think about yesterday it's usually just today and what tools do I have to live and be present today? And so that fifth step was powerful for me because it allowed me to get honest and it allowed me to trust another human being. I had major trust issues with people coming from the streets. That was the only way I could survive was to not trust you because then I would get, you know, fooled or so to speak, robbed. <laughs> and, uh, and so for me to trust another human being, um, and trust this program, right? Like at the same time, it was a, it was a uh, it was a learning of trust, and it connected me to God, which is the whole point of this program. It's just to get connected to a higher power, and so I felt it. You know, even though it felt like nothing, my sponsor pointed out, you know, that's power right there. And I was just like, feels good to not think about nothing. It's where I am right now because I just did the step five. There's nothing objectionable. It's just not objectionable. And so when you get these little pockets of spiritual grace, I like to call it like after an actual step five, an actual step nine, an actual like when you're actually doing these things from a place of um, a little bit of brokenness, I like to fact check the world. Okay, so I did all this stuff. Has my marriage has the person I'm married to who I thought the problem was, was the problem changed at all? Absolutely not. Has my son changed at all? Absolutely not. Has the, whatever, who else was on my, oh, someone scammed me out of four grand. Oh, 
I've never been scammed in my life. And I like prided myself on my inability to be scammed. This fucking bitch scammed me out of $4,000. She was on my resentment inventory. You want to know why she scammed me? I, I, I lied. I set the ball rolling because I lied. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I didn't realize that I lost the money because I lied. Are you fucking kidding? It was actually me. The scammer was actually, I set the ball rolling, right? So, so like after all of a sudden, I still don't have that four grand, you know, my husband's the same, the kid's the same, everything's the same. So now I'm fact checking the whole world, the government that like, how do I feel about everything? And it is neutral. I am safe. I'm protected. I'm completely neutral. I'm free of this head noise that can come back all these years sober. Life is objectionable sometimes. Okay. And then ego agent X wants to start chatting in her head about how we're going to fix it and how God should fix it. And why aren't you fixing it? God. Right. Immediately. And so this space of emptiness is, uh, I've had joy this week. Just joy and uh that's a fucking gift man it's a gift ah so we're not even on step five however we're actually up to step seven so after step five we now have a list a black and white list of where people exist they step on my toes and i react terribly causing bigger problems the real problems come from me uh i lied that was the defective character that set the ball rolling, to, you know, to to be scammed for four grand. That's the truth. I fucking lied. I set the ball rolling. Uh, so my dishonesty at this many years sober shocked me. Shocked. And I did the first time. I didn't think I was a liar. I didn't think I was dishonest. I was shocked. To this day, I just did this fist up in front of a, a, this 37 year sober woman who I love, adore, want her to like me. And I'm like, so I'm a liar. Turns out. 40 years old, <laughs> you know, I'm like still a lawyer. Uh, so I have this list of what has blocked me off from God and other people blocked me off from God and other people. It's why I have nothing to rely on except my ego, which is agent X. She's loud. She's yelly. She's very angry. She lives in my head. I know God also lives in me. I've seen evidence of me coming from a place of God, which is calm, quiet, Understanding, loving, thoughtful, tolerant, not lying, right? Um, not dishonest. Not dishonest. Dun, 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 dun. And just this blockage of my head to my heart. And when I do step five in its entirety, like all of a sudden, some of these blockages start getting removed and I see the truth. I'm now armed with facts about who and what I am. I know alcoholism and I start to see myself and it is not as rosy as I thought it was. And so I now look at step six and I've read the first five proposal. I fact checked. I'm like killing it, doing well. All right. Well, bad news again. I cannot try harder. This is not a try harder program. I already tried me lying at 40 years old to that woman who scammed me was the best I could do. That came from my best mind. That was the best idea I had to get what I wanted from her. Okay. Um, yeah, being dishonest was my best mind. So I did try hard. I tried very hard. So it says I actually have to have God's help to just live, just to be okay, just to not be dishonest. Like you'd think that I could just do better. 
And that was, that really is like my current resentment at everyone is like, just do better. Why don't you just do better? You know, but it's also my resentment at myself. Why can't I just do better? You know, just try harder. Just fucking don't drink today. You dick. Okay. Just stop drinking. So it says bad news. We have to actually have God cast these things out of us. We need God's help. Terrible news. Terrible news. <laughs> it, it's growing pains. You know, I I didn't um I didn't uh I didn't catch that either. You know, I um I guess I got confused with the faith without works part. You know, my my sponsor though today he he when we do step seven we we do it frequently right because it it mm-hmm. it bounces off four and five and six. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I list my character defects and then I put the opposite on the, on the right side. And, um, it's just a way of living, but it's not to get rid of the defect, right? It's right. to start living a different way. And at the same time, allow God to do whatever he does, which is remove it on his time. We have an ideal. So the same and sound relationship ideals. I also have one for my son and my work and my um, sponsoring. I have a sane and sound sponsor idea, which is how I, um, so my sponsor, here's one, like my sane and sound sponsorship ideal is that I sponsor people void of personal ambition. That's my written out sane and sound sponsorship ideal. You know, I'm going to sponsor you void of personal ambition. The reason why is because it's selfish and self-centered not to, that my ego can get involved, that my personal emotions towards how I feel about you while sponsoring you get involved. And so I can identify sanity. I can identify what it would look like. Okay. And I, I identify my defects of character and also what sanity around showing up and turning up as as an adult would look like. How about dealing um, in business honestly? That's it. Okay. However. Um, I can't try harder to do that, but in identification, I then have a principle. So the principles, so I have a principle about how, um, I can now fact check whether or not my business dealings are honest. If they're not, I know then what to bring to God. Okay. So I know people disagree with me about this shit. I don't give a shit. I believe I have to identify what it is in me that's blocking me off in order to bring it to God. And sometimes I don't know, but then I find another recovered alcoholic to tell me, because guess what? You know, I can tell you exactly what the problem is. You go, yeah, really, really? Actually, you're dishonest. I didn't see it. Right. We can't see our own inventories all the time. A self-appraisal avails us nothing at times, actually. Because all I see is is why my best ideal, which was lying, um, being dishonest, that's it was a great idea at the time. Turns out, you know. So so then I can have other people also identify what it is in me that I have to bring to my higher power in order to remove. Because God's not going to do shit against my will. If I want to sit here treading water, being dishonest, fucking with shit, He allows it completely. Otherwise, that's fascism in my life, and I just don't think so. Okay. So he allows me, and it's funny, there was another one where I bought a cat and cats are a running thing theme in my life. I bought a cat during this past six months and he was on my inventory because the cat turned out sick and I blamed God. I'm not kidding. The resentment was blaming God for this cat being sick. And then during the fifth step, I realized I asked God specifically to allow or not allow me to get this cat based on whether or not it's God's will. Like specifically like God, 
Your will be done around this cat. You want me to have it? Let me have it. If not, block me off. Motherfucking God told me no three times in three different ways. And I'm not kidding. Like block, 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 block. And here I am like trying to run the show and trying to get someone to pick it up and trying to get a new flight. And like God blocked me like a ninja and I did it anyways. Okay. Fun fact. I was the problem again. Scooby-Doo mask. So <laughs> we can, we see, and then we become willing. I yeah. am willing to do better because I don't want to be this person anymore. I have fucking years of evidence of Agent X running the show. It's a shitty show. It's a terrible show. And it's so painful. And I get scammed and I get sick cats and fucking I get in a divorce. This is my best mind. This is the best I could do. Okay. So I get here and I'm like, yep, I'm dishonest. I suck. God help. And I'm finally willing. And it says I have to be willing, but I can't be willing to give to God something I don't see. Right. People kept telling me I was an online bully and I was like, you can get fucked. I'm an online bully. I am. And it took a while. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But really, I am not kind, compassionate, and tolerant on Facebook AA groups. I'm not. Uh, the fuck are you talking about, sir? That's what I act like, right? So it turns out, when I saw you are an online bully, finally, when I saw it in my heart, I then was able to bring that over to God. And strangely enough, he's removed that defect. Yeah. So here we are. Can God now take them all, everyone? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. So some of the clinger-ons, right? Some of that is stuff like I say, my sex, my money, and my children. You know, I will go back to defaulting control in those three areas. I default control. Why? Because I'm afraid. I don't trust God. That's why. I'm agnostic. Here we are. Kept yeah, that's it. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. These are the three, you know, three little sticking points is what it says. And it doesn't say it's a problem to grow through these things. It, it says if there's stuff that I'm just not willing to give to God, just ask to be willing. My analogy kind of sucks, though, because it's like I tread water sometimes. I, you know, God's sitting in the boat, and here I am right next to him, treading water, you know. And he's like, read, he's like scrolling Instagram. And he's like, anytime, Agent X, you want help, you just tap out. You know, just let me know. I'm here. So I'm treading water, treading water. But I don't want to ask for help. I'm a big girl. I don't want to ask for help. And he's, you know, until I say, all right, God, make me willing to ask for help. And he just like pushes my head underwater for just a minute. You know, he just holds me under for a minute. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Help, you know. And then he picks me up and he helps. So that's the willingness, okay? That's that I can tread water as long as I want. And God will always help, but he's not going to help me out against my will. That's why I've watched some like horrible videos online and you're like, "Where was God there? That was horrible." <laughs> but he's not going to stop anything against their will, right? God God's not going to intervene without a genuine desire for intervention. Is yeah, what I definitely. believe. When it's blocked off, and it's usually blocked through through me or through pomp or through um, pride. You know, the the funny thing about pride for me is so it's like it starts off with I should, and amen. You know, it's like I I, sh I should do that or I shouldn't have to do that or you know just something that starts off with those two words I should. 
And when I catch myself in that, that moment, um, it's being aware and just being willing to let, let God remove, remove it. But I had that, I, I just, the, the, the motivation for me is like you said, I, I think you said earlier about being consciously aware of his presence yeah. and staying close to him. And it's for me today, these defects are, are somewhat of a blessing because I used to pray to God, you know, please don't let me have any defects tomorrow. Don't let me get in trouble. <laughs> I don't live in fear, but I realized after working this stuff, it's like, I check in with him every time I'm in this way. Yeah, and if I wasn't yeah. in this way, I probably wouldn't be checking in with him. So it, it's kind of a blessing to have this, these, this ego because, or at least to work on this ego, because now I get to have a relationship with God when I yeah. catch myself in this ego. And most importantly, when somebody else calls it out, um, <laughs> You know, I, I, uh, I've been through periods of up and down with that. Uh, sometimes it's from people that are 30 years, they'll point something out and I'll be like, what do you know? You're freaking old. Yeah. You know, you got sober in the eighties. And so it's like, <laughs> uh, it's a different time or I'll just immediately bark and, you know, start the arguments. But then after doing some inventory, I'm like, what, what's really bothered me? And it's usually, oh, they're bothering my, uh, my security, like they're threatening my security, my a, my recovery security, or they're threatening my family security. And so yeah. um, it's usually starts from that pinpoint right there. And then um, I just realized that it's an inside job. It's they, they probably have nothing to do with it. It's just my reaction and my perception to it. So um, sometimes learning from other people can be, can be a learning experience. And and other times, uh, it's also a learning experience. So I guess it's pretty cool. So I hate to, I hate this, but I just looked at the time. We've been recording for like an hour and a half, and my episodes get only an hour. <laughs> so I have to wrap this up. I knew this would be a wonderful conversation. I did. I was really really looking forward to this. Thank you so much, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, for coming on and spending this time with me. I'll have you come back again because obviously there's more to talk about. Thank you, everyone, for listening to That's on the Book. Please remember you can get in contact at any time, and we will see you all next week. Dude, have you even read the fucking book? 